0: My dad had this saying that, well, this is how I remember it. He would say, uh, my house, my rules. Your dad had that saying too, huh? Or you have that saying. So yeah, when I was a teenager, given my parents' fits, you know, that was one of the things that I would hear my dad say, my house, my rules. My uh, best friend growing up, he got one of his ears pierced and uh, and then, you know, I sort of showed some interest in getting one of my ears pierced too, cause that was cool. My friend was doing it and my dad made it, you know, pretty clear his house, his rules. I was free to live somewhere else <laughs> if I would like to get my ear pierced. My parents are pretty conservative folks. I mean, this is the same guy who would take me to get my hair, my haircut when I was a little kid. This was in the eighties. This is when like Def Leppard and Motley Crue were big, you know, long hair and stuff. And um, he would take me to get my hair cut and the barber would like cut my hair like shorter than it currently is all the way up here. And then my dad would be like, can you cut it a little shorter? (laughs) Don't want my son to turn into one of those hard rockers. Uh, As long as I was living under my parents' roof, then, you know, my dad made it pretty, pretty clear, play by his rules. I didn't really like it all that much so often, but I did understand it. So when I invited Jesus to make his home in my heart, I adopted this approach. Hey, Jesus, my heart, my rules. That's probably putting it a little bit too starkly, but uh, that's basically the posture I had and still sometimes have towards Jesus. I have expectations of what Jesus will and will not do. I have my own agenda that I can assign to Jesus. I have expectations about how he will behave and what he will lead me to do. And not often enough do I consider the reality that maybe Jesus has his own agenda. Maybe Jesus has expectations about me more than I have expectations about him. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we know that you reign and you rule as king. And um, when you rule, your rules are the rule of the house. And, um, and your rules are good. Because when you reign and rule, it's good. Because you are good. So Jesus, would you open our hearts that you might make your home there. And then keep us open to your agenda, to what you have in mind to do. After all, it's not our hearts. They're the hearts that you created. We belong to you. So it's your house anyway. Bless us, we pray. Amen. Amen. So the city of Jerusalem, it's the first century. Uh, The Jews are filled with Anticipation and expectation, because the Jewish people had been really subjugated for, uh, by one kingdom after another. It started in around the 8th century BC with the Assyrians. They defeated uh, the Israelites, they uh, took over the city. But as soon as the Assyrians were done, then the Persians came along, and the Persians did the same thing, the Persian Empire. And then after the Persians, then it was the Greeks in like the year 300 BC. And then after the Greeks, it was the Romans. And that brings us to where we are today in Mark chapter 11. We're in the first century. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, and it's the Romans who are occupying Jerusalem. They're foreign occupiers. Their military was present. They taxed heavily. And for all these reasons, the Jewish people were eagerly anticipating a savior, a warrior who would come and reign as king, and a warrior who would set them free finally from these foreign occupiers. And so this is why the crowds in Jerusalem broke out into singing Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is that psalm that has Hosanna in it. You just heard uh, Brian read that. Psalm 118 is a psalm that is associated with, uh, with a new king coming to power. So a new king would be anointed or coronated, and, uh, and then the people would often recite in formal celebrations and also informally Psalm 118. So when King Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, they shouted out Psalm 118. And uh, and this is what they said. We just read this, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, Hosanna is just a Hebrew word, and uh, and it means save. And it came to become uh, a shout of acclamation or praise so that people would just say, Hosanna. And what they were meaning was, thanks be to the God who saves us. You know, praise be to the one who saves us. And so they say, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And what the crowds were communicating, what they were saying was, thanks be to God for you have come to save us from the Romans. This is what the people expected. This was their agenda for King Jesus. The crowds went on and they said this. They said, blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Now, the crowds are in the middle of quoting Psalm 118, which is a psalm that's all about a new king arriving. And then they say this, blessing on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. This line is nowhere to be found in Psalm 118. Why did they say it? Why did they introduce this line? Why did they add this line to their praises? And the reason is this. They expected a political figure who would come and restore the kingdom of Israel to its former military and economic and uh, geopolitical might. That's what they expected. Blessing is, blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. It's what they expected Jesus to do. It was their agenda for him. Which brings me back to me inviting Jesus to make my heart his home, inviting Jesus to live in my heart. What expectations do I have of him? What agenda do I have for Jesus? How do I expect him to behave when he's living in my heart? How about you? What expectations do you have of Jesus? Do you, for example, expect him to fix your problems? Do you, for example, expect Jesus to take away your pain. Do you expect at least that if you follow Jesus, he will remove the vast majority anyway of your discomfort, whether it's social discomfort or uh, mental discomfort or spiritual or physical discomfort? You know, the reason the prosperity gospel is so popular is because most of us do have expectations about Jesus. And if we're honest we would sort of like Jesus to come and just take away all of our problems, take away all of our pain, and it'd be really awesome if he also made us financially successful. (laughs) Now, most of us are not going to fall for the lies of the prosperity gospel. We're wiser than that. Those lies are too obvious. But what about when Jesus disappoints you? What about when Jesus doesn't answer your prayers to heal a loved one what about when you continue to struggle with a nagging experience of depression it doesn't go away even though you pray what about an addiction that continues that you continue to struggle with Jesus doesn't just take it away you know, spiritual disappointment is real. And by the way, just look around for a little bit. It's okay. It's, it's only a little bit awkward. Just look around at people. Okay. There's a real good chance that these are folks who also have experienced spiritual disappointment. So if that's you, like, you're in good company. Like, we've been there. We, we have had expectations of Jesus, and he has disappointed us because he has not fulfilled those expectations. Can you imagine, just for a moment, can you imagine how disappointed those folks in the first century must have been? Think about this. Just a few days After all of the celebration and waving palm branches, when King Jesus arrives in town, like finally, Hosanna, the one who saves us from the Romans, is here and all the fanfare. Just a couple days later, the one whom they expected to save them from the Romans is nailed to a cross by the Romans. Spiritual disappointment. I think that disappointment with Jesus gives us an opportunity. An opportunity for us to evaluate our expectations. Because I don't think Jesus ever disappoints His agenda. I don't think Jesus ever fails to do what He has come to do. So when we feel disappointed, I want to encourage you, invite you to ask this question. Are my, to what extent are my expectations aligned with Jesus? To what extent is my agenda aligned with the agenda of Jesus? Well, if Jesus doesn't fulfill all of our expectations in the way that we wish that he would sometimes, then what does he do? When Jesus rides into town on a donkey, what what does he actually do? And by the way, speaking of donkeys, let's talk about this one for a minute. (laughs) I mean, what are we to make of the fact that Jesus rides into town on a donkey? Now, I know some of you might disagree with me here, but I don't think donkeys are very handsome. Uh, When I think of graceful animals or beautiful animals, I am not thinking of a donkey, and I know that you're not either, and here's how I know that. Name one sports team whose (laughs) mascot is the donkey. That's what I thought. Donkeys are slow, they're stubborn. We've got a we've got a donkey sports team in the back. The Houston Astros. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Bill, since you stood up, I can call you out. That's great. Well, aside from uh, from that team, um, you know, I think Jesus riding into town on a donkey—it's like a visual parable. Jesus tells parables, right? He tells stories um, that uh, raise questions for us and challenge our expectations, and, and make a point. He's a he's a magnificent storyteller. He's so good at telling stories, and I think this this is a visual parable. It's an embodied parable. Jesus riding into town. On a donkey. One of the things I think we can conclude from Jesus' mode of transportation here is that Jesus is accessible. Anyone can access a king riding on a donkey. It's not too fast, it's not too tall, it's not too intimidating. Jesus is one of us. And he rides into town as one of us. The author of Hebrews puts it this way invites us um, saying, uh, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, right? We can approach Jesus because he's so approachable, and the donkey is an example of that. He's also peaceable. He He came to make peace, not war. If Jesus had come to wield a sword and to make war, he would have arrived to town on a stallion, but he didn't. That's not how he came to town. In the Old Testament, one of the prophets is Zechariah. And Zechariah paints this prophetic vision of when Jesus will show up, when the king will show up. And it's in Zechariah 9, and uh, this is how it reads, this vision. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a donkey. The prophet goes on to say in the next few verses that Jesus will break the bow, that Jesus will break the war horse, that Jesus will break the chariot, that he will command peace to the nations. You see, the crowds expected him to carry a sword and to slay his enemies with it. But instead, in just a few days, Jesus will carry a cross and he will lay down his life for his enemies thanks be to God for a guy who once was an enemy of God, that he did not show up with a sword and slay me, but he showed up with a cross and he laid down his life so that I could live. And not just me, obviously, but you too. But what does all this mean for us? I think it means this, anyone who welcomes Jesus, anyone who says, Jesus, will you please ride your donkey on into my heart? Will you make my heart Christ's home? Anyone who welcomes him, welcomes him to reign as the king of peace. Uh, In just a little bit, um, Autumn and Zoe are going to welcome King Jesus to ride on into their hearts. Well, actually, they've already done that, and this is a public declaration of that that they have invited Jesus to make their hearts Christ's home and to reign there in peace. In a minute, we're going to celebrate the gift of communion. And at the communion table, we're celebrating the reality that Jesus makes peace by laying down his life. That Jesus made peace for us with God by giving of himself, his body and his blood. And when Jesus comes to set up his home in our hearts, he does so to make peace for us, to make peace in us, and to make peace through us. This is where we're going to finish today. First of all, for us, Jesus' victory over sin, his victory over death, his victory over the devil, it's a victory for you. It's for you. When Jesus, when the lamb of God was taken was given to take away the sin of the world. That was your sin that Jesus took away. Jesus made peace with God for you. Like it's it's for you. And not only is it for you but it's in you. The peace of Christ dwells within you. So when you invite Jesus to come into your heart and to make your heart his home, you're inviting Jesus to begin his massive remodeling project. Now, if you have ever been involved in one of those, you know how disruptive it can be. That's a great word because Jesus disrupts our lives. And what he does is he begins with a giant demo project, and he gets rid of all of the stuff that is not of him. He tears it out. He rips it out. He gets rid of it. And then he begins rebuilding your heart to be a heart like his, to form you, to conform you, to be more like him. This is uh, all what Romans chapter 8 is about, about Jesus conforming you to be like him, remodeling your heart to be a heart in which peace reigns. He reigns for you and he reigns in you. He also reigns through you. Our Jesus calls us peacemakers because his plan is to make peace through you. That's why we gave you those little Easter invitations, because you are an instrument in the hands of God. You are a peacemaker. And there are people in your life who do not yet know the Prince of Peace, who do not yet know Jesus. They don't know real peace And Jesus' whole strategy is to use you to introduce the Prince of Peace to people who don't yet know him so that they also might experience the peace of Christ. So friends, today at the communion table, we are proclaiming the peace of Christ for us and in us and through us. And in just a minute, in these two baptisms, which we get to witness and which you all get to participate in, we are declaring, along with Autumn and with Zoe, that the peace of Christ reigns in each of their hearts. It's in them, it's for them, and thanks be to God, it also can be through them. So, will you invite Jesus to ride his donkey on into your heart and make your heart his home? This is Jesus' agenda. This is what Jesus is up to in the world. Riding on into people's hearts, proclaiming his peace, making his peace one human heart at a time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cbchbh.org.